The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The enemy we have to face down is inflation. You can't overstate how much a short-term mindset dominates Westminster. The cost of living crisis is not going away. It's very real for people. We've got to focus very much on the things that will really bring back growth. The UK has certainly been a very strong supporter of Ukraine from the outset. We have to stay the course to make sure inflation falls all the way back to the 2% target. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. In a moment, we'll bring you our interview with the former Chancellor Nadim Zahawi. We discuss some of the government's plans to boost investment in the economy, as well as the most recent turmoil in the Conservative Party. But first, Ewan, back in the studio, you picked a good time to be absent in that uh, nice and hot weather. Some of the things that have been hot, some economic data. Yeah, incredible, isn't it? Uh, just think, uh, a week ago, Boris Johnson uh, was an MP and no plans to quit, or at least not that we knew of anyway. Yes, uh, economic data, it's not coming hot, but it is certainly warmer than expected. Uh, yes, they saw that drop in unemployment to 3.8% and faster than expected wage growth. And today we've got GDP numbers for April, which show the economy bouncing back after a negative reading in March. That is all good news. But it does increase the chance of the chance of more interest rate rises uh, from uh, the Bank of England, which is something which mortgage holders will not be happy about. No, indeed. And it, it, there is a kind of a positive milestone in this is that at last UK GDP has recovered to where it was before the pandemic. Uh, it's now 0.3% bigger than it was when the coronavirus hit in 2020. Economists still expecting very anemic growth uh, for the rest of the year, though, um, as they look at how this latest data is factored in. So the, the latest Bloomberg survey puts Britain on course for the weakest performance among G7 countries. Perhaps, though, it's a competition for the bottom of that table with Germany. Well, let's turn now to our top interview today. With the cost of living and the economy the number one issue for voters, we've been speaking to the former Chancellor of the Exchequer and Conservative MP Nadim Zahawi. Zahawi, who was in number 11 Downing Street last summer, told us having UK inflation will require fiscal discipline. As someone who served under Prime Ministers May, Johnson, Truss and Sunak, who better to ask about the current state of the Conservative Party? Nadim Zahawi has been speaking to Caroline Hepker and Lizzie Burden. Uh, it would be naive to say that um, having you know, internal um, fighting and, and uh, problems in the Conservative Party you know, gives us an advantage in electoral um, uh, uh, sense. Um, and we need to put this behind us in my view, and focus, as we did during the pandemic, on vaccination program. I think Rishi's five promises to halve inflation, to grow the economy, cut the uh, debt, and of course, deal with the NHS backlog and stop the boats, uh, is what will earn us the right to be heard again. Uh, And once we've delivered that, so if you halve inflation this year, people will go, actually, you know, maybe we could give this man a second chance. Let's listen to what he's got to say in 2024 and his chancellor and uh, they can then hopefully return to a tax cutting agenda, um, which would then focus the mind because when you look at what Keir Starmer is saying, just the policy on on um, uh, gas exploration being 
outlawed by the Labour Party in Scotland will impact something like 200,000 jobs. Uh, so I think when people begin to uh, shine the light on some of what the opposition are saying, Rishi will, I think, benefit from that. But putting the spotlight on the Conservatives again, you know both Johnson and Sunak well. Who is telling the truth about this House of Lords appointment drama? Well, look, I haven't focused on that. You will forgive me because uh, I've been focusing on the work at the Adam Smith Institute and today's um, collaboration with you, with Bloomberg. Uh, we've got the uh, Minister for AI from the United Arab Emirates, Omar Al-Ulama. This guy was appointed in 2017. By the way, he was ridiculed, uh, as was the position uh, at the time as some sort of gimmick uh, but he's got a lot to say today on um, growth on regulation mm -hmm. and on how we use AI globally so okay. I've been focused on that that tittle-tattle that you know political drama is interesting I had it when I was Chancellor of the Exchequer of course you remember because I took over when Rishi resigned I had to deliver the Mansion House speech and I did that and I announced the next morning that we will deliver the financial services and markets bill which your listeners are obviously interested in now end of this month that bill will become the law it'll make the city this place here the most competitive place in the world to come and you know uh, take a company public oh, okay. or invest so ultimately what your listeners want to hear is what's the company the government delivering rather than yes. sort of the political machinations so the, of the Conservative on, Party. On those substantive points, we listened to Rishi Sunak and to Keir Starmer deliver their talks on, on AI at um, London Tech. Is the UK really doing enough? Firstly, that the proposition on AI seems quite wishy-washy. We still don't really know what AI is actually going to deliver. And actually, the, the Labour and Conservative offering seems remarkably similar to me, to my ears. Is the UK really doing enough to become a tech hub? I mean, also, the Prime Minister's significantly watered down even the pitch as for, for London as being the kind of global tech leader. Are we doing enough? So I think um, where we do lead the world is in two areas. If you look at the work at Imperial, Oxford and Cambridge, but not just uh, Oxford, Cambridge and Imperial, in Birmingham University, um, there's some excellent uh, research and development into AI and we are a world leader recognized by you know the rest of the world as being a world leader on this we're also world leader because we've got people like Dennis Hassabis and DeepMind here in the UK and others are now announcing that they will be also be in the uh, UK that's good where I think there is a gap is between research at university and then transforming that into a, what I would describe as applied AI, i.e. commercial businesses that are profitable and are employing thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in profit-making businesses. That's, also that's the, the that's easy the gap. bit, though, of business, though. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. I've Not at all. little time, so I want to get to all the questions. This is also the easy bit of business, though, right now, isn't it? It's the shiny bit. Martha Lane Fox, who's the president of the British Chambers of Commerce, said to me, what about all the other businesses? She travels the length and breadth of the country. She's saying, you know, it's great, tech's getting the right message, but the government needs to have a far broader message to more sectors of business and more focus on trade. Well, there is a big focus on trade, and the uh, trade minister, Kemi Badnock, has just been on a uh, tour of the Middle East, um, and... Um, I know that region well. I've had great feedback, actually, from the region. Um, so you know, you know, we're not marking our own homework as a team, uh, saying you know that that visit was incredibly um, uh, 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 you know positive and will deliver real-world outcomes for the United Kingdom. Let me give you an example. Um, I think again because we've got the UAE here today with Bloomberg, uh, with Minister Al Olama, um, the UAE committed I think about 10 billion uh, of investment in the UK in. Uh, you know, renewable infrastructure, um, 
in the next five years. They've delivered that early, and there's more to do. Uh, why have they delivered that early? Because we've got the potential and the opportunities for that investment to take place. That's a good thing. That doesn't take away from the fact that we have to always challenge ourselves to do better for the whole economy. Yes, we are the ninth largest manufacturer in the world, but manufacturing, if you look at the numbers that came out today, is lagging behind the service sector, which we are obviously a behemoth in. Indeed. So to recover manufacturing, to grow manufacturing, Archie Norman, the M&S chair, is speaking to Caroline. He says that the Tories can't even bear to utter the words industrial strategy, but the US and, the, and Europe are clear on theirs. It's a common criticism. I think I heard it from Catherine Mann from the Bank of England as well, that the, the UK needs a long term plan. Where is our five to ten year plan for the economy? We have one. And um, I'm a great fan and I worked very closely um, uh, with um, Andy Haldane, who worked on the um, uh, Bayes department's uh, strategy, um, the industrial strategy at the time, which was uh, basically sector and um, space. So uh, you know, geographies of, of, of the country with particular sectors where we would um, uh, you know, effectively have a, a plan with that sector. So we did the uh, strategy with the life sciences sector, learn from that strategy because that's worked incredibly well and then scale it to other sectors of the economy. So we have that plan. That's what Jeremy Hunt is talking about when he focuses on the sectors that um, he talks about, uh, including becoming the sort of, you know, the, the Silicon Valley um, of um, uh, Europe in the future. You're, you're beginning to see that work come through. Okay. Yes, of course, there's more to do. No doubt in my mind, there's much more that we can do. But I think that is already in place. But then as a former chancellor, why do you think it is that every single day, week after week, you've got business leaders criticising Britain for being adrift, Stellantis, Dyson, Revolut, one after the other? And we've got to learn from them. We've got to listen to them. And, you know, I, when I was education secretary, went to see James Dyson. One of his gripes was he's got the brilliant Dyson Institute, which is pro producing brilliant scientists, but he can't make it a Dyson University because he's been told it will take seven years before he gets the regulatory approval. I, with um, uh, colleagues in government, initiated the, the Regulators for Growth roundtable to get all the regulators together uh, to make sure that we get them to think about growth. Now, the Financial Services and Markets Bill will make the financial regulators now have a target for growth, as well as, of course, you know, doing good regulation and safety of the financial markets. Mm. They have a target for growth. I'd like to see that across all... All regulators should have a target for growth of the economy. That's how you begin to deal with the problems of, you know, whether it's Revolut or But, but um, I think the Dyson. issue is about whether we are interventionist enough in the right way. There is, there has been a sea shift, right? France, the United States, Europe, they have these huge strategies for intervention for massive dollars in the US. And it's not for the, for the Inflation Reduction Act, for example, on green subsidies. But there's more than just that. It is real interventionist government direction for business. And the UK is sort of missing that. Well, Labour wants to do it on purpose. The Tories seem to be doing it by accident. It's, no, I, I, I would push back on that. I would say there's a very clear strategy um, uh, developed, evidence-led. Um, Andy Haldane uh, did an incredible job on that. That's what we're delivering uh, against effect. Whatever you call it, whether, how you brand it, I'm not really that interested in. I want to see outcomes because that's, you know, if we focus on outcomes, what I say to my team in vaccine is, I don't care how many vaccines we've got in the warehouse, is how many we put in people's arms and protected yeah. them and saved their lives. Um, it's the same thing. Now you look at what we're doing 
uh, hopefully with JLR and the uh, uh, you know investment into mm. uh, battery manufacturing in the UK. That is you know that's that is intervention. Um, and that's intervention in a sector that we want to continue uh, to grow, especially in, in the West Midlands, in, in, in my part of the world. Now, that battery factory may not be in the West Midlands at the moment, but as it grows, there will be more demand. There will be more need for more battery manufacturing um, in the United Kingdom. That's the right thing to do. Now, you know, do I think we're there yet? No, of course not. There's so much more to do. There are so many parts of the economy that we need to continue to invest in nuclear you know we've got to do more on the small modular reactors the smrs there's yeah. a real opportunity for us on that and then on the um uh, amrs the um uh, sort of the new generation of uh, uh reactors that's also important there's more to do to make sure that you know we continue to be world leaders in yeah. financial services that's why the financial service and markets bill is so important and when it becomes law you'll see that impact that it yeah. will have that I'm certain you will begin to talk about on your show and other shows in Bloomberg. Yeah, I suppose it's difficult when we've had such a rotation of business ministers in the last couple of years that actually delivering um, is, is hard to do. Um, on the inheritance tax subject, though, um, you've um, made some comments around it. Very interesting. We're about to see, we are seeing in the, in the middle of the biggest transfer in history uh, in terms of wealth from one generation to the next, from baby boomers to their children, grandchildren. You want to ditch inheritance tax, I suppose. My question, why abolish it? It's a uh, inefficient and complex act that leads to, it, in my view, uh, perverse uh, decisions, outcomes. So when people begin to think of leaving their assets behind, they begin to make decisions on those assets, including selling up and just spending the money because uh, so much of it goes to the um, uh, tax man. I think you would hopefully uh, create better investment decisions um, and of course, morally, it's the right thing to do because people have paid their tax um, on that money that then they have bought, uh, uh, you know, a home it with. Doesn't do They'd anything like to leave to it the to their. To, well, for, for the I, I think I think it does because I think you know being able to to have the option to leave uh, your hard-earned money that's already been taxed to your children or grandchildren uh, is one that is, um, in my view, the right thing to do. But the upside as well is that I think it'll mean more investment in the United Kingdom uh, because the, the, those um, decisions that people make um, as to how they manage their inheritance, um, you'll be able to, to move, you know, move them out of the way. And they, they, all they think about then is how they expand their investments. You know, some small, medium-sized businesses that would have remained in family uh, assets would have been have to be sold to pay for the... Um, inheritance tax at the moment, plus the the, the, the complexity of the code uh, is um, a minefield. And I think my job at the Adam Smith Institute is to have you know, a vibrant uh, ideas machine. Um, and that is what we pride ourselves on uh, in terms of a think tank. It's an independent think tank. We will have uh, people from the other side of uh, the political divide writing for us and doing work uh, for us. But it's an exciting uh, proposition to be part of. Finally, you're a pollster by trade. Can Rishi Sunak close the gap on Keir Starmer? Yes, he can. Uh, and I tell you for why. If you look at the number of people saying don't know at the moment, it is an unprecedented level. Um, last time I looked, it was over 20% of people uh, still saying they don't know which way they're going to vote, which means they're sitting on their hands. They were pretty upset with us because of 
2022 and, of course, uh, the internal machinations of the Conservative Party. But I think if Rishi delivers those five promises to halve inflation, grow the economy, cut the debt and, of course, deal with the NHS and stop the boats, then I think he would have heard, earned the right to be heard. And if 2024 means a you know, really strong tax-cutting agenda then there will be a very clear divide for people as to whether they vote for Keir Starmer, who's going to destroy jobs in Scotland. 200,000 jobs are at risk because of the policy or no exploration on gas in Scotland. Gas is going to have to be part of the portfolio mix to get us to 2050. And that, that sort of COP26 promise we made. Uh, but Keir Starmer, in his, you know, because I suspect he's probably been captured by um, you know, a dogmatic agenda that we need to sort of make ourselves poorer uh, to be able to meet the 2050 targets, mm. uh, will be making a very bad mistake. And I think he'll trip up as you know, people begin, like yourselves, to focus on Labour policy. They will trip up on this stuff. Uh, and people will see Rishi as someone who really does deliver. That was the former Chancellor of the Exchequer and Conservative MP Nadim Zahawi speaking to Carlin Hepker and Lizzie Burton earlier. Yeah, fascinating to get thoughts from Nadim Zahawi. One of the great survivors of British politics, although he's not actually in the cabinet at the moment, but he did serve under the last uh, four PMs, admittedly the four last they four PMs. They came quite close have together. Come, yeah. have come uh, rather quickly. But interesting to get his thoughts on uh, business, of course, because he has a big background in business, founding uh, YouGov, making a mm. lot of money starting that pollster. So good to get his thoughts on some of the criticisms, some of the, the many criticisms uh, from UK businesses uh, faced uh, by the Tory party over the last uh, few months. Yeah, and I mean, look, and he, he's trying to throw it also forward to a conversation where he says, you know, Labour policies will face more scrutiny as we get closer to the election as well. I mean, so will Tory policies, but also I wonder how much voters will be weighing the experience of the past 13 years of Conservative government uh, with the prospect of what's being promised uh, by the Labour Party in their manifestos as well. We are, of course, eagerly awaiting the detail of all of those economic proposals to be able to uh, dig into the detail and break down what they mean for the economy. Well, that's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineer was Marufal Hussain. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.